as we've been worshiping together and done confession and communion together, and as we've begun to think about what does it mean to kind of recommit ourselves as we start this fall in this new church year, I want to read to us a few very familiar verses probably from John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about bearing fruit. And in John 15, he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, they it is that bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, they are thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me my disciples. And that's really what we're going to be focusing on, is that last verse in there. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And we're going to come and look at how we can do that. So let's bow together in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this service of worship, where we've been able to gather, where we've been able to worship you, to confess our need for you, to receive your forgiveness and your sign of that in communion. And we thank you for your word that calls us back into fresh commitment to you. And as we start this new series of sermons, and as we hear your word today, Father, we pray that you would help us to hear your voice, to be challenged in our lives. And Father God, we pray, encourage us, for we need that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to the fall. It, uh, I know, still officially a week away. Fall starts this year on the 22nd of September. We were always taught in school it only ever happened on the 21st, but learned that life is always more complex than you think. But for the church, fall starts on that Sunday after Labor Day. It's kickoff Sunday. Normally, we would have a big thing. And instead, uh, this year, we're going to be gathering online. We're going to be gathering in person with about 80 people, plus some kids and some youth. It's going to be different. But we're gathering. And online, we're going to continue that we can worship together until we're all able to be back safely in person. But it's fall, and so it's my favorite time of the year. It's when school restarted. I love school. I wish I could still go to school, but at least someone can. And we restart with our routines and our, and our rhythms. But of course, it's totally different this year. Uh, summer was different. Most of us stayed a lot closer to home. It was a lot quieter. And now for our kids, fall is different too. Uh, some of them are at home or online going to school. 
Some of them are masked and distanced and in person, but that's not the same as it was either. Some of us are working from home more or working there full time still, and it's just different. And we're trying to figure out, um, all of us, I think, are we winding down this COVID? Is it a lull before the storm? And none of us have any idea. As my daughter likes to say, I have no idea. This is my first pandemic, and we're struggling to figure that out. Winston Churchill, during the war, when he was leading the country in England there, famously said at the end of the Battle of Britain, this is not the end. This is not even the beginning of the end. But it is the end of the beginning. And I don't know if that really applies here or not, but, but it is allowing us to come back this week to church, and we're looking forward to that. Even if it's totally different than it was, and even if not all our people are still able to be out. But we're going to do this three-week trial through September, just to try and see what works and what doesn't and to see what happens with kids being back in school, and just to see what the future is going to start to look like. And the word that echoes in my mind is this word resilience. It's been six months that we've been in this COVID journey. And as I was kind of planning the series of sermons for the fall, I, I thought, you know, what we really need is probably a series of sermons on resilience, how do we have the strength? How do we do the self-care in order to survive? How do we keep strong in the face of what some days just feels like an unending new reality? And then my thoughts kind of flitted from there, and I began thinking about margin and balance and resilience. And probably if this was last year and there was no COVID, we would have probably gone there with this sermon series. I mean, in the old reality, I would preach a sermon series in the fall, and always somewhere in that fall, I would say, you know, you're too busy. You're caught up with kids and sports. We're caught up with all the things that we're involved in. We're caught up with work, and it's easy to lose God in all the busyness. But in this COVID reality, I don't think that's the problem anymore. Uh, we're not overly busy. Uh, it isn't the biggest problem that we had in the summer, probably. I mean, I was at a meeting this week, and we were in person for the first time. And at the end of the meeting, you know, socially distanced, sitting all around the room, we said, we need to have another meeting. What day works? And kind of two days were thrown out, and everybody could make it. And in the old reality, man, we'd throw out six, and then we'd have to figure out, well, which people do we not mind missing? Because nobody's going to make it to all of them. And so it, it's a different world. So we've solved the busyness, but I'm not sure we've solved the most important problem in our lives. And I don't think it's that we don't need resilience anymore because we're not so busy. The challenge, I think, is not that we're too busy. But, but here's the thing. The challenge, I think, today is that we've lost the structures that we build our life on. And that's what we're going to think about for the next six weeks. We've lost the structures that we build our life on. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it all came to me this summer when I was thinking about 
what it means to have the freedom to start these in-person services that we're going to start. When we could do in-person ministries, Don doing some of that with our children during the summer with day camp, with some of our small groups meeting here in the church in person, you know, because we have the space to do social distancing. And as staff, we began to ask ourselves the question, how can we go back to church? How can we reopen? How can we restart ministries in a safe way? And, and what's God saying about that? And then I began to think, you know, that really isn't helpful language for at least two different reasons. The first one is we're not going back to anything. We can't. Even on Sunday when we come back to church here in person, it isn't going to be anything we would have recognized last September, where in two services we would have well over 400 people. Well, this week we're li limited to 80. If you could see the chairs in front of me, you people online, you would see that the chairs are miles apart. We have about 25% capacity in our sanctuary. We're going to have to wear masks. We can't sing. We have to pre-register. We haven't come back to church. We've moved forward to a new church. It's a new reality. And the second reason why going back language isn't particularly helpful was I began to think maybe going back wasn't what we really wanted anyway. Maybe it's not so much that that's a challenge as that that's an opportunity. That maybe the way we did things wasn't the best way we could have done things. That we sort of stumbled into that model of ministry. And I began to think, and here's the point of the sermon, I began to think that we'd created structures for sweet peas and not apple trees. And that probably makes no sense at all. But if you're wondering what the sweet peas and apple trees have to do with anything, well, I don't know if you've ever grown sweet peas. They're one of Don's favorite flowers. But if you grow sweet peas, you know one thing for sure. If they're going to grow well and they're going to look like anything, you've got to give them something to grow on, whether it's a fence or a trellis or something. But sweet peas do not have the strength to stand up by themselves. They simply grow along the ground unless you give them something, in which case they'll grow up along that. But the only way to have them grow up is to give them a structure that they can grow on. And whether it's a fence or a trellis or something else, that's what they need to thrive. And I think that's what we've created church to be. For most of us, it's the structure that we base our spiritual lives around. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's not a bad thing. Well, maybe. But I began to think that the picture that the church was before COVID was that we were sweet peas growing on this trellis. And I realized that because all of a sudden we had to shut down all the in-person parts of church. And I realized what we had done is we had cut the trellis down that we had based our lives on. And when the church structure disappeared because of COVID, the shape of our lives changed. And here's what I came to believe. I believe that we as church people have come to base our dependency on the church to give us structure in our lives. 
I mean, when we stopped meeting on Sunday morning and the sermon went online, we quickly discovered that you could watch that at any point. It was no longer time-specific to Sunday morning the way our services were at 9.15 and 11. And after a while, people began to time-shift when they watched that. And the reality became that we lost Sunday as a special day. And a lot of people sort of discovered, you know, Sunday feels just like Saturday. And some people really liked that feeling. And they began to say, hey, this is what the rest of the world experiences. But we lost Sabbath, whatever that means. When most of the ministries stopped, we lost the place where many of us volunteered. Many of us served in ministries that were on site. We, we were in the Sunday school. We were in uh, ushering or greeting or we were doing stuff through the church. And we needed that structure of ministry in order to keep serving. And for many of us, the last six months have been a time where we've served very little because the structure that we volunteered in disappeared. And now we had to actually initiate serving when we saw a need around us. Working from home changed the shape of our day. When we, you know, people that had kids that had to do some uh, schooling with their kids during the day, people that worked at home that didn't now commute off but kind of worked at home, which in many cases kind of morphed over the day a little bit more. It wasn't like I start at 7 and I finish at 5. It was a little more fluid than that. And I think a number of our people lost that, that quiet time where they would spend time with God, however long it was, whether it was before they left home or whether it was on the drive or on the commute on the sea train. But whatever it was, they lost that time with God. And not only did they lose Sunday out of their week, they lost their quiet time with God out of their day. And then I think a lot of people found life really quiet over COVID because we discovered that our friendships were often based on activities that we did where we ran into people sort of accidentally. Whether it was at kids' soccer or hockey or skating or gymnastics or whether it was at church events or you know services or small groups or whatever, we ran into people and we had this friendship that was there, not because we had to initiate, but simply because... What we were doing put us in touch with people. And when COVID shut that down, I think a byproduct of that was it shut down our connection with people. And yeah, we can't go over to people's houses as much as we used to, and we have to be careful and all those things. But there were a lot of ways we could have reached out that we didn't because we had to initiate that contact. And initiating is a lot harder than just showing up and seeing someone and having a conversation. And many people discovered that we don't have as many friends as we thought we did. We simply have acquaintances that we do other stuff with. And I think one of the challenges of COVID has been that. And then lastly, just another example of how structures affect us. Um, giving was something we either did at church or were reminded by at church. 
So either we put money in the plate or we did our e-transfer or push pay or whatever those things are that we're allowed to do. But, but we were reminded each Sunday of how important that was. And judging by our giving over the summer, to be quite honest, um, my guess is that some of us have got out of the habit of giving regularly. So what I'm saying is we had structures that the church had created that allowed us to do a number of things. It allowed us to have a Sunday that was different from any other day of the week. It allowed us to have a special time during the day. It allowed us to have um, a place to serve. It allowed us to have a place to give. And it allowed us to have a place where we found friendships and acquaintances and relationship. And we lost a lot of that during COVID. And so when I hear people saying, I just can't wait to get back, what I hear people saying is, I can't wait for all those things to come back. That we can go back to the structures we had before so that I can have some of the lifestyle that I had before. That I can be attending worship on Sunday. That I can be serving in a ministry. That I can be uh, seeing my friends again. That I can be having a kind of a more routine daily time with God. Even being reminded to give, you know, wouldn't be all bad. I just look forward to the structures we had last fall. And I think in moving forward, one of the things that we've just felt is that if we're not talking about going back, but we're excited about moving forward, and we're thinking, how do we help people not become dependent on those structures? That maybe we need to actually remove some of those structures. And, and you kind of say, say, what? You know, like you're going to remove things that help people in their spiritual life? Aren't structures like good things at times? And yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with structure. You know, you read the Bible, especially read the Old Testament. Read through um, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, um, you know, books that we don't go into a lot, but we do know a little bit of what's in there because in there God set all kinds of structures in place. He talked about you have a sacrifice early in the morning and late in the afternoon at the end of the day, sort of, and you start and end your day with God. That gives structure to your day. He said, I want you to have a Sabbath where you stop working and you worship me in a different way, and that gives structure to your week. And then God said, every new moon, I want you to have a special festival that's even more special than the weekly Sabbath. And that gives uh, structure to your month. And then Jesus said, or God said in the Old Testament, I want you to have three feasts a year, very, very special times. And that will give structure to your year. And then they had a seventh year and a 50th year. God had structures Daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, seven yearly, 50 yearly. And in the New Testament, Jesus lives us all out. He gets up early to pray. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath teaching or uh, talking to people, healing people, whatever. He's at the feasts in Jerusalem. In fact, it's at one of the feasts he'll get killed. There were rhythms in his life as well. So I'm not saying that structure is bad. But here's where the apple tree part of the sermon comes in. So uh, last summer, I think, last spring perhaps, uh, Don and I got an apple tree for the backyard. 
you know, they always say you plant a tree for the next generation. So um, I don't think I'm going to live off the apples on this little guy. But um, it wasn't very big. Uh, they're a lot cheaper if you don't buy them very big. You know, it was like my height. And uh, it came with this stake that held it up. And so we planted the tree. And, you know, it started to grow and it survived the winter and all those kind of things. But what it needed was it needed the stake beside it because its trunk wasn't very strong. And it needed that support. Now, here's the thing. When that tree grows up in the next two, three, four years, because they don't grow that fast in Calgary, it's going to be strong enough to stand on its own trunk. At some point, we'll take the stake away. And the trunk will be strong enough, whether it's to protect from the wind or to protect from, you know, people bumping up against it and, and bending it over or whatever. It'll be strong enough for the branches to bear fruit. And that's the purpose of that tree. And I think it's, that's a, a pretty good image of us, that we are to be these apple trees, these trees that grow, that bear fruit. It's what that passage we started with said, you know, that uh, you're the vine that bears fruit on your branches. And in Psalm 1, the very first psalm that introduces that book, it says, Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. Here it is. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither and whatever they do prospers. And the difference between a sweet pea and an apple tree is just simply this. They both start the same way. They both need that support. They both need that trellis or that stake or whatever it is. But the sweet pea will never outgrow it. It will all its life need that there because it doesn't have the strength within it to grow. It will just sort of spread. But the apple tree, now that needs to be able to develop the strength to have a strong enough trunk that it can bear fruit without the weight of the fruit compromising the trunk of the tree. And I think what COVID has taught me is that what we have done in the church is we've treated people like sweet pea plants and not like apple trees. We've created all these structures for their spiritual life, but we've allowed people to become dependent on the structure. We've created this codependency that people need the structures of the church to grow. And instead of helping them to become apple trees that become independent We've created this sweet pea plant dependency. And where the church has been trying to provide support for young Christians or new Christians that need those kind of things, the way the small apple tree does, we've allowed more mature Christians to continue to have that dependency. And we've seen it because when COVID came and took those structures away, we've seen people's lives change radically. The idea with the apple tree is when you take the stake away, the tree doesn't change. It's already strong enough to keep standing the way it was. So where does this sweet pea analogy come from? 
Well, I'm glad you asked because it's a crazy story. When our kids were little, our two girls, they both figure skated. And there was another family that lived a couple of blocks away that also figure skated about the same time, had the same coach. And we got to know them, and they were kind of a fun group. They came to church here for a while, and they were from the southern U.S., which is only important because um, they were a really cool family, and the dad was this big, burly, six-foot guy, you know, like a real kind of man's man kind of thing. And he had a name that we called him. But his family called him Sweet Pea. I love the southern U.S. Um, but no, literally, his wife called him that. His parents called him that. Anybody who knew him way back in Carolina called him that. It, it, Sweet Pea. I think the image came from that. That the fact that, that, that Christians, seemingly mature, grown-up, adult Christians, can still be Sweet Pea. Still dependent on outside things to prop up our faith. Still dependent on outside structures for our spiritual life. And where those structures are great for Christians just starting out. Where they're great for the small apple trees. There comes a point where we got to pull up those stakes. And begin to develop internally driven rhythms. That will allow us to mature and bear the fruit that God wants us to. And I'm not picking on, you know, the people in the pew. I read an article uh, last week about nine reasons why pastors who retire stop going to church at all. <laughs> so since I'm retiring in a while, I thought I better read that because I don't want that to happen to me. And he gives these nine reasons of, of why. And he doesn't really mention it in the article, but if you dug behind many of those nine reasons... One of the things that's there is this has become a job. And all of their spiritual life is based on the job. They read because they have to preach. They pray because they have to be with people and, and you know, they're praying with people. It, it, it's all that it's the, the outside structure for a pastor is the job. So I'm not saying that it's just people in the pew that become dependent on these outside structures. It's a big a liability for professional pastors that when the job isn't there anymore, they've lost the structure that held up their faith, that created the rhythms of their days and weeks and months and years. And they struggle with their relationship with God because their relationship with God had become professionalized. It had become a job. It's not dissimilar, I think, to why divorces happen when, when kids leave home. Because couples discover that the outside prop to their marriage was their kids, was parenting. And when they're no longer parenting on that intimate basis, there's nothing left of that relationship because it doesn't stand on its own. It's relying on that outside prop. And so we're going to look at that over the next five weeks. We're going to look at just different ways of looking at this, and especially we're going to look at how do we develop the internal structures that help us to grow and become the people that bear fruit for God and not have to rely on that outward structure. And I just call it pulling up stakes and putting down roots because that's really what it is all about. And so the challenge is that COVID has changed our world. 
And the good thing is, not all of that is bad. Maybe some things can be for the better. So over the next weeks, we're going to be looking at this. And as we as a staff and as a board and as leaders in the church, we're looking at how do you do things in a fresh way? Don's sending out this thing about Lego. You know, when you get a box of Lego these days, it isn't a box of Lego. It's a picture of something you can build with that particular set of Lego. But if you turn the box over, you discover you can also build this, 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 and this. And if you're creative, you can build a whole bunch of other things as well. And I think we've kind of said that we've done church in this certain way because we think that's how the pieces have to go together. And now what we're looking at is, is there ways that we can help people mature and develop and grow and, and discover God and discover their ministry in the world and make a difference that doesn't rely on outside structures. And so pulling up stakes, we're going to look at that. But, but for this week, can I just give you three things that you can put into practice this week as a start? We'll put them in better context going forward. But here's three things. First one, you got to have this relationship with God at the start of all this. This isn't, I'm going to you know, uh, earn God's favor, I'm going to earn God's forgiveness, I'm going to earn his love. Um, all of this we do because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've admitted that we're sinners. We've admitted that we need his forgiveness, as we talked about in that confession and in communion this morning. And it all starts with that. But given that, three things. One, we need a daily time with God. Every study that I've ever seen shows that that is the single thing that will make the most difference in your life is if you have a structured time with God, a time of reading the Bible and a time of praying. So three parts to that. First of all, you need to read regularly. In other words, the best way to do that is to have a time and a place. My time and place is here at the church. I read at my desk. But on the weekend, I have a chair that has a little table beside it, and it has all my stuff that's important. It has my Bible, it has the commentary that I read alongside of that, it has my marking pencils, and it has my coffee. Can't go by without any of those. But I have a place and a time. So this week, what is your time? What is your place? Maybe early in the morning, maybe late at night, maybe at lunch, maybe at coffee time. I don't know when it is but you need one that's regular. Secondly, what are you going to read? You need to read consistently. I'm reading these days one chapter a day. I have this really thin commentary that's about four or five or six pages, and I read that along with it just to get some more insight. And that's my plan. But your plan can be anything. Some of us, our plan was we read the Daily Bread because we picked it up at church, but we haven't been here for six weeks or six months. And... We don't get it anymore. Well, in the sermon notes that you can just download off the web or on the web itself, we have the link to the online version of Daily Bread. We also have links to YouVersion. And if you're not familiar with YouVersion, it is the most awesome Bible app you can get. It's been downloaded 435 million times. So that tells you something right there. It is, uh, what's their stat? 2,000 Bible versions in over 1,300 languages. Didn't know there were 1,300 languages. But it's all free, and it's all without advertising. 
and you just have to go online. The links are there, but, but you can probably remember the website. Go to Bible.com. And you can download that. And not only do you get all these translations of the Bible, they have about 150,000 different reading plans. You want a one-week reading plan? You want a reading plan because you're depressed or, you know, you're getting married or, or you're going through grief or you want to read the Bible in a year, three years. You want to... They got it all. Just go to Bible.com. Take a look. And thirdly, pray. So you need to read regularly. You need to read consistently. And you need to pray. And the question is, who and what will you pray for? Why don't you write that down? Make a list. Begin praying for things. Begin waiting for God's answer and then writing that down as well and celebrating what God does. Start with five minutes. Don't, you know, it's like you don't run a marathon the first day. You, you walk around the block and then you walk and run and then you, five minutes, then 10, then 15, and then as long as God calls you to go. But develop that muscle slowly. Secondly, weekly Sabbath. I just think an important rhythm of our week is this whole idea of Sabbath. And without in-person you know, worship, we have the luxury of doing it any time, and we've lost Sunday. It's disappearing fast enough because we have so many other things with, with sports and other stuff that's on that day. But let me invite you to reclaim Sunday, or if you work on Sunday, perhaps another day, because we as pastors kind of do that. But set apart time in the morning for worship. If you're not coming to the in-person service, you're continuing to watch the web, still set aside a time. Join us at 10 o'clock, same as we'd be in person. Set aside this crucial day. And, and, and the kind of the rule of Sabbath is don't work. So whatever is work, don't do it. If for you cutting the lawn is work, don't do it. If for you going shopping at the store for groceries is work, don't do it. If for you doing the laundry is work, don't do it. Figure out how to do these things on different days of the week so that your Sunday can be what brings you joy and what brings you relaxation and recreation. And not only do we spend time with God, but we spend time with His community, whether it's family or friends. It's a day of renewal and worship. And God has built us to need it. And part of uh, celebrating Sabbath is we shut down things because we know that it doesn't rely and depend on us. The work will still be there on Monday. And the world will not crash and burn because you took Sunday off. And here's the question. What do you need to do this Sunday, this week, that you can have next Sunday as a Sabbath? What is it that would help you to be able to celebrate Sabbath next week and schedule all those tasks that you've put on to Sunday so that you can have a special day? And then thirdly and lastly, and we'll close with this one, is generosity. The third rhythm is generosity. God said tithing is this giving of 10% of our income is important. It's a rhythm that allows us to bless others. It's a discipline that is a way of saying to God, Father, I trust you to supply my needs. 
When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, we're trusting that God will meet our needs. And thirdly, it's teaching us to live as people in a more simple life, to put money into better perspective, because we are the richest people in the world, even if we don't feel that way. And you can give to the church through e-transfer. You can give through push pay. You can give by check or by cash. There's all kinds of ways you can do that. And it doesn't have to be to the church. It can be to any agency that's there to serve people. But the question is, when will you give this week? What will you give this week? And maybe this week, is there a way to make our lives a little bit simpler so that we can bless others more? Maybe it's giving up that Starbucks a little bit more. Maybe it's not buying those uh, kind of impulse items that are at the check register as you're you know, leaving the grocery store. But what could we do to simplify our lives a little bit that we could bless others in the world who don't have what we have? Well, we're going to talk a lot about those kind of things, but, but these are the kind of internal structures that make a difference. And Jesus said, This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, and by that you show yourself to be my disciples. If part of our goal is to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, fully devoted disciples of him, Jesus says you do that by bearing fruit, and bearing fruit we do by getting our life with God back in order so that we can hear him, so that we can serve him, so that we can experience his fullness and his grace and his peace and his power. And this week I just pray for each of us that we'll discover God's plan for us. Not these outside structures that sort of we rely on to live this life because we don't want to put too much into it. But beginning to develop those inner strengths that we can make a difference for God, that we can make a difference in this world, and that we can live the lives that God made us to live. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your promise that you will grow us into maturity, that we will become those who know you more, who serve you better, who are able to live out your life in this world. And Father, our desire is to bear fruit. Our desire is to bring you glory. Our desire is to become what you made us to be that we can do what you created us for. And so, Father, we pray, help us to develop those rhythms that would allow us to grow. Help us to develop new rhythms for this new age. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.